Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. I'm really excited for today's show. I will have Matt Sims, the former NFL quarterback who overlapped uh, with me during my time uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. He is going to be my guest on today's show. We're going to be talking a lot of offense, a lot of quarterback development. He gives me a little bit of insight into what is a quarterback responsible for on the field? How do these operations really work, right? A play call comes in. If it comes in late, what can a quarterback do about that? Is it just, okay, we're behind the eight ball. We got to just hope that we can catch up, but we're probably going to be behind the eight ball. Or do they have some flexibility to say, okay, coach, I got you, but we got to go. We got to operate. I'm in charge now. Look at me. I am the captain. Here we go. So having done all of that and having played for coaches like Kyle Shanahan, Steve Sarkeesian, I thought Matt Sims would be a perfect person to uh, come on and kind of give me some insight into the learning curve for Desmond Ritter and then how he kind of fits into Atlanta's offense and really what he can do um, with all the pieces around him. So that is what is on deck for today's episode. Matt Sims, who has now joined the uh, Believe Network, he's got a new podcast with his dad, Hall of Famer Phil Sims. It is called Sims Complete. So if you enjoy my conversation with Matt, be sure to check that out. Before we get into my conversation with Matt, just a real quick note with the trade deadline looming, I'm going to share a couple of quick thoughts on uh, on the trade deadline. And then I just want to, because today is going to be such a an offense-heavy podcast, I wanted to share just two really awesome stats for Atlanta's defense that I think indicate, you know, not only why they are playing so well, but also, uh, you know, why we should expect it to continue. So that is all coming up. But first, the last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week and Bet Online is your top spot for all the NBA action this season. With the Major League Baseball postseason, NFL and college football and NHL in full swing already, BetOnline remains your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. But get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to BetOnline today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, that is BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so the trade deadline is October 31st. The Falcons, you know, if anything, we expect them to be buyers, right? They are currently in first place in the NFC South. They could use some improvement in some areas, but I just don't really get the sense that they are going to be super duper active, right? I've, I've seen the reports linking them to guys like Carl Lawson uh, from the New York Jets. He's an intriguing option to me. I, I think he would slot into your rotation with a little bit of upside, but I kind of think the Falcons really like where they're at and they feel like they have untapped potential and really the room for much, much more with the guys that they have on their roster. That being said, if there's an area where I'm going to be wrong, I would love it to be the trade deadline. You know, my, my gut 
tells me kind of all of the information tells me that they probably won't do too much, but I have so much trust in the moves that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith have made so far because they've panned out that I would love to be wrong in this area. If they bring in somebody who's not even on our radar right now, I will accept that with uh, with open arms and kind of dig into, okay, how does this person fit? Because when you have an offseason like they just had with your defensive free agents and really kind of totally reshaping that that side of the ball, also bringing in a, uh, a couple of new coaches who have had a huge impact, you know, that's going to earn my trust a little bit more uh, when you are with your pro acquisition team. And I, I think they've done a great job with that aspect of the organization. That being said, they've already acquired Van Jefferson. I expect him to have a bigger role as the season rolls along, perhaps starting this week, because I think explosive plays uh, could be a factor in Sunday's game. I don't really think quarterback uh, is going to be on the table as much as everybody would love to trade for Kirk Cousins or Justin Fields. I think the Falcons have a plan. You know, if you've listened to Arthur Smith, I think that they believe in this plan. It is something that has been... We They have been going through the learning curves of trying to evolve and elevate this offense to accommodate that plan and to kind of go along with that plan. That it, it just wouldn't make a lot of sense, I think, right now for them to kind of midway through the year say, all right, quarterback out the window, let's bring in somebody else, let's bring in Kirk Cousins and totally change what we're set up to do. That just doesn't really strike me as the way that they're going to uh, proceed forward. So, yeah, again, I expect... Not too, too much action from the Falcons uh, at the trade deadline. But if I'm wrong there, I, I don't think it's going to be for a quarterback. It could certainly be for a pass rusher. I wouldn't mind being wrong. But my sense right now is that the team is probably going to remain the way that it is. Um, and I, I don't know if they're going to trade too many guys away either. With Jalen Hawkins already gone, he would have made sense there. Um, you know, I saw Josh Kendall for the Athletic kind of threw out Trey Flowers as a name that could have value, we'll see. Um, but those are a couple of quick trade deadline thoughts. Let's do uh, some real quick defensive numbers that I just saw because, again, we've spent so much time talking about Atlanta's offense. Offense is flashy. It's also been a little bit of a problem. But based on success rate, and these numbers are coming from uh, rbstm.com, which is an awesome site, Ben Baldwin. Uh, I believe it's Computer Cowboy on Twitter. He does a great job with like success rate, EPAs, all of that cool stuff. So went and looked at Atlanta's defense. They are currently fifth in the NFL in terms of defensive success rate, which, you know, opposing offenses having success against them less than 40% of the time, which again is fifth in the NFL. They're tied with Kansas City. Uh, Cleveland leads the way. They're number one. Opposing offenses are having success against them on a per play basis. Just 33.3% of the time, that's Cleveland. So again, Atlanta's number is 39.9, just south of 40% there, which is fifth best in the NFL. But if you look at rushing EPN, and this is expected points added um, based on a per-play basis for each of their rushing plays, Atlanta is best in the NFL in rushing EPA for their defense. Basically, teams, when they run the ball against Atlanta have a negative 0.24 um, EPA. So basically teams, when they are running the ball, are about a quarter of a point 
worse um, based on what your expected average would be there. So Atlanta's run defense, I know, has always kind of been looked at as maybe the weaker part of the unit based on way, the way the secondary is playing, kind of the metrics. And if you look at the metrics, they are top 10 across the board. It is even in, in some of the big uh, situational aspects, they are, I believe, third uh, best on third down and the fifth best on in the red zone. Um, so those are huge, huge uh, indicators of just the way that the unit is playing right now in all of the key critical downs. And that's going to continue to be the case, I think, on Sunday in a game that probably is going to come down to the trenches. And if the Falcons can keep the ball, convert some of these third downs, stay alive, they're going to have their work cut out for them again in the red zone. Uh, offensively, Atlanta's uh, offense will against Tennessee's defense. But Atlanta's defense, the way they're playing right now, you expect them to stay in every single game. Certainly, when it looks like Will Levis is going to get the start on Sunday, Atlanta's defense has to be licking their chops. So that's what I've got for you guys in terms of an intro today. I'm very excited to uh, get into this conversation that I had with Matt Sims of Sims Complete. So let's get to that right now. I am so excited now to be joined by Matt Sims, the host of Sims Complete with Phil Sims uh, on the Believe Network and also a former NFL quarterback who spent a good amount of time with the Atlanta Falcons. And we overlapped <laughs> a little bit there, Matt. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And and just so everyone knows, right before we came on, Will, you know, was gracious enough to remind me that he had to write many uh, articles about me being cut and re-signed, <laughs> uh, which was probably you know, close to maybe five or six different times. And I tell people constantly that uh, when they say hurtful things to me, don't worry, I've been cut over a dozen times. You can't you can't hurt me any worse than those moments. <laughs> hey, man, the Falcons only cut me once and I'm I'm still trying to get over it. So <laughs> at least they wanted to no bring doubt. me back. It, um, takes a, it takes a different time period for everybody to, to get over those type of things, but it's all good. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but the the Falcons look like they're maybe getting over the hump a little bit here. And after a big division win, when they did not play anything close to their best game, yeah, at least in terms of the turnovers, you could argue that they actually made some significant strides offensively and, and defensively. They've just looked so good. Right. You know, a, as the team sits here at four and three, what are just kind of your overall impressions about the Atlanta Falcons? I'm very optimistic about this football team. And, and I know it's definitely had moments where you're like, man, as soon as you figure it out, you know, you take like two steps back. But I, I think the team is designed well. I think it's a team that's designed to be physical, to win close games. Uh, you know, uh, you got to give, you know, th this coaching staff a ton of credit for, you know, acquiring really good football players, you know, and really the first one that that really jumps to my mind, too, is just the addition of Jesse Bates in the secondary mm -hmm. and just how phenomenal he's been a, a, a for them as just a leader and someone that just constantly makes plays week in and week out. So, uh, you know, a, as much as there might be some frustration with the Falcons right now, I do see them as a team that's trending in the right direction here and definitely more so than some others in the division. I'm I'm glad you brought up Jesse Bates because I think that that's something this team, this organization, frankly, has not gotten enough credit for is that they've nailed their free agency class, right? That right. It was something that we were pinpointing two years ago saying, all right, you know, the 2023 <laughs> offseason, when you get this windfall of money, how you choose to spend that could make or break the next 
couple of years for this team. And, and it seems as though bringing in Jesse Bates, bringing in Caden Ellis, bringing in David Onyemata, Calais Campbell, choosing right. to spend a lot of that money on the defensive side of the ball has already paid huge dividends. Did you expect the team to gel this quickly? I, I knew they brought in the talent, but I didn't expect it to kind of be from the jump. Hey, this this unit's one of the best in football. Yeah, and, and you're right. I definitely was not expecting it to be like this fast as far as that defense being as cohesive, as disruptive as they've been. Um, you know, that being said, the defensive side of the football, uh, I guess in the grander scheme of things in football is a little easier to just say, like, here's the ball, player zone, go and get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas offensive play to be really good and dynamic that way typically takes a little bit more time, a little bit more experience with each other. But, you know, you, you hit it, you know, nail on the head. The veterans that they brought in, that's why this transition has been so seamless because they're guys that have been through multiple coaching staffs, through different programs and cultures. They know how to adapt. They know how to take, you know, leadership on. You know, Calais Campbell is one of those guys that has always speaked very highly of no matter what football mm -hmm. team he is with just the type of character that he is in the locker room and his leadership ability. The same thing with Jesse Bates. We even saw Cincinnati's defense struggling early this year in the secondary specifically because of the the missing pieces like Jesse Bates and Von Bell. So um, it, it's a credit to this uh, this this management to, to be able to find these players and to put them into the starting lineup right away because they've been absolutely impactful. Yeah, Clayus Campbell, I mean, his impact in the locker room is, is so tangible. It's it's really felt. It's awesome to see somebody like Grady Jarrett have guys now like David Onyemata oh, and Clayus Campbell and Bud Dupree and just these dudes who get it, who have been in the league for a long time. And and now he doesn't have to put on the cape week in and week out, right? No, I, and you're. I'm so glad that you brought him up too, because we were teammates with each other in Atlanta when we made that Super Bowl run. And you know, I knew Grady was one of those young superstars on that football team, and uh, you know, he's unfortunately been a part of this rebuild now, which probably in his mind has gone on, you know, far too many years. Forever. But yeah. Uh, yeah, forever. And in some cases, in some organizations, it's it's been you know just who they are. They're always in rebuild mode, but. Uh, I know that he is probably absolutely just relieved to know that he has other guys that are, that have kind of been there, done that, experienced it, and uh, he can kind of lean on them too to now share a little bit of the responsibility where I feel like he was kind of just the man that was doing it all by himself there for the past few years. Yeah, it is. It's really great to see the the pass rush starting to come alive. The pressure rate's been there, but now the sacks are starting to come, especially even, you know, against a slippery quarterback like Baker Mayfield. I know he doesn't right. get the credit for that, but like, I mean, Zach Harrison had a free run at him and he just kind of dipped his shoulder and got right underneath him. I know that's a rookie. I know he's probably not the best matchup just to have in space against Baker Mayfield, but it's still impressive nonetheless. So this is Definitely. my imperfect transition to the Falcons quarterback situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Desmond Ritter, I mean, it seems on the one hand, he is getting better. The last two weeks, the kind of just between the 20s, moving the ball, orchestrating the offense, delivering the passes on time and accurately for the most part. But then you do get these huge momentous, just the lows are really low and the highs do seem to be getting a little bit higher. How do you make sense of this all? What is stickier and what do you think is going to last? Man, this is just the tale of playing quarterback right here because <laughs> it is just 
it's just unbelievable the difference between being like super talented and great versus like, ah, uh, you're just like league average, you know, and, and that threshold there, it's just so hard to kind of break through for so many great players and so mm -hmm. many good players, right? Um, Desmond Ritter, I'm excited from what I've seen. I, I was definitely one of those people there in the offseason that was kind of doubting, like, oh, really, you're going to go with Desmond Ritter as your starting quarterback? Like, all right, good luck, Atlanta. But each and every week during the season, I see things that I like about this player. His ability to be athletic and move in the pocket, I think, is getting better each and every week. His experience with just throwing the football down the field with more confidence seems to be getting better. You know, that was something that I think was I was very concerned with early on this season was that it seemed like when he had to throw the ball to make the right decision, he struggled with it. And, and that's mm -hmm. one thing that I think this young man needs to kind of uh, take a page out of some of the other, you know, old dogs in the NFL that, when you make a mistake, you know, just nickeling and diming your way down the field that next drive is really important, right? For yourself to kind of rebuild your confidence at the position, but also for your team and the play caller, just so you can reestablish yourself in the game. I'll give you a great example of that. Really, just this last weekend, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Miami Dolphins, Jalen Hurts throws a pick six. Well, what do they do? They put together a nine-play drive and go right down the field, and Jalen Hurts just threw you know, a five-yard completion here, four-yard completion there, scrambled for five, did this. you know. So it was just these little things that ultimately led into the win right for them. And that's something that I think Desmond needs to realize too. We're not in college anymore. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore, so to speak. <laughs> you can't just like change the game and the outcome with one great throw down the field that makes the difference. It's all those small plays that add up over time throughout the game. And yeah, to go back to what you said, this, this was another example of it. Probably the best game he played as a pro uh, so far in his young career but still has the three fumbles. The one where he's getting ready to throw, it looked like to a deep end cut towards the back end line of the end zone. That one, no problem. The fumbled mm -hmm. snap, that's like, uh, come on, man. You know, like we're better than that type of thing. You know, fundamentals in the red zone. The the scramble, I mean, he's going <sighs> to score. Yes. And uh. Just, you know, a, a lax of, you know, yeah, he just, he kind of got relaxed at the last second. And he didn't realize that the defender was as close as he was to him at that moment. So mm -hmm. those things, I think, are correctable. And he's more than capable of doing that. But it is crazy to think that that was at least a 13-point swing if those things don't happen. I, I kind of lost my mind on our uh, our recap podcast <laughs> Sunday night with uh, my co-host Ovi Mahaley. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, I was I was kind of right with you. It's, you know, the first one, understandable. It's kind of within the course of a play that happens. You give credit to the defense and Shaq Barrett. The second one, I know a lot of people wanted to kind of jump on Drew Dahlman, the center, for having a bad snap. I know kind of all season people have pointed out inconsistencies. I don't see it. I think he's been a pretty good player and, you know, snaps are going to be off target during the course. Of, like that just kind of happens from time to time. Right. But the third one is the one that just had me pulling my hair out because it's like, all right. You've already fumbled twice, so so just get across the goal line, right? Now is not the time to be like slowing down a touch and just kind of like, all right, we got a score, we're in here, like game over, we're good. Make sure it's game over. Get in there, get the get the ball across, and yeah. he knows that. And hopefully, it's a good learning lesson, and it's a a lesson you'd rather learn in a win 
as opposed to the week right. before against Washington, right? Where you learn those hard lessons in a loss and everybody's losing their minds. <laughs> no um, doubt. And this go- is where we can laugh about it too, because yeah. they did end up winning. He did make the mm-hmm. throw to Kyle Pitts down that left sideline, uh, which was over and under a defender in a tight window that set up yeah. Young Way Koo, who's the most clutch kicker in the history of the <laughs> NFL, man, uh, other than Adam Vinatieri. So, you know, go Young Way because he's a New Jersey guy like myself. So I got to I gotta shout out Young Way Koo. <laughs> there you go. Man, and even spoken as a, as a former teammate of Matt Bryant, that's that's high praise from uh, from you. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, Young Way has been has been great. Desmond Ritter, I mean, those those throws, because we we again saw it in the Washington game that that played a kind of Drake London, you he hits these deep in routes, these kind of le- feathers the ball over the linebacker that second level really well. I mean, he has right. taken some really noticeable strides in a lot of aspects of NFL quarterbacking. One part though that I frankly have no history with, I don't think a lot of people do that. I want to ask your perspective on, and that is looking back at the Washington game and the operational stuff, right? How much of that and what is, as a quarterback, when you are getting the play call, you're in the huddle, you're keeping an eye on the you know play clock, you've got the, the play in mind and the motions that have to happen, what are you in control of operationally? Is it, is it everything or are you kind of like the, the chef in the kitchen? If the order is late coming in, the order is probably going to be late going out. Can you change that and say, hey, we got to go. We got to like just coach, shut up. Let's go. We got to get this. Can you walk me through all of that from a quarterback's perspective? Yeah, unfortunately, there is no right or wrong answer for it. Like in these situations, everywhere. All, all of those are true and all of those are absolutely possible, you know, and unfortunately for Desmond, a lot of those coaches would be like, yeah, I know I got the play in late to you. I still <laughs> want you to execute and get it done. You know, mm-hmm. that's your job. That's why you're the starting quarterback, you know, and, and those will be things that he'll learn and get better at. I think we see a lot of young quarterbacks have that same issue. The play clock in the NFL, it, it, it moves much faster. Next play to next play. It's just like everything in the tempo of the game is just so much tighter than it is in college. Where in college, you know, it's like you have a play, you hang out. You know, it's like it seems like there's 30 <laughs> second delay and then the play the clock starts again with their. Yeah, fight like, wrong, you yeah. know, it's like Kirk Kerb. She's like, oh, look how great this scene is, you know, <laughs> and OK, we're back to the play again. Whereas yeah. in the NFL, it's just like bang, bang, bang. Like you got to be ready to go. Next play, next play. Doesn't matter what happens. So um, these are things that he'll get better at. The coaching staff and himself will get better at communicating these things and going through what the proper procedure is to making sure that they don't happen as often. So many times, too, when it when it was Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan, you know, when he would give those plays that were like 30 seconds long, mm-hmm. you know, when we already had 15 seconds left on the play clock, you know, you would just kind of give that word where it was like, hurry, hurry. And you're basically telling everybody, just get in the final formation forget Mm. about the motions or the shifts get to where we're supposed to be and then just play ball and then we can go back and say hey we want to get back to that shift or that motion that we missed because we're trying to exploit x defender on this certain look so uh it's just a it's a cumulative effect and unfortunately for desmond it does kind of fall on his shoulders and it doesn't really matter if it was a, a play that got in late he needs to be the one that really does uh just kind of make it right no matter what it, it does sound like that's kind of just a lesson that does unfortunately have to maybe be learned through experience, right? Some totally. guys never actually have that experience and they never have it go wrong for them in a game. But I imagine once you do, it's something that you get cleaned up pretty quickly because you never want to have it happen again. And, and that's really yeah. interesting, just the the hurry, hurry, hey, 
I know we got motions tagged onto this play. You know, tight end, just go to the left side. We're not going to bring you over. Get over yeah, here. Right. Let's just start. Like, get over there. Yeah, let's run it. Five seconds yeah. left. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. And, and th- those are things that it's hard to simulate them in practice. It really is. It's, it's actually almost impossible. And, and really for, for Desmond, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with, you know, as I think about this more now, that he's showing improvements at the position. The coaching staff is seeing this in the game, in practice. So what are they doing? Uh, We're demanding more of you now. We're demanding more of you so we can be more dynamic on the offensive side of the football. So as you continue to demand more of someone, there are going to be times where just naturally, they're going to maybe let you down here or there, right? But all of those letdowns are great teaching moments and growth moments for that young man to continue to get better. And right now, four and three, if we said to Atlanta Falcon fans right now, you'd be four and three, you know, mm-hmm. at this point in the season, uh, all of you would have been like, yeah, we'll take it. So let's let's keep it real that way, too. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I mean, and you look at the this kind of schedule ahead. It's It's got Tennessee. It's got Minnesota. It's got Arizona. Uh, there's a real chance that if you do see, again, some of the continued growth, because that's one of the things that I think they like about Desmond Ritter is that generally when he's made these mistakes... They don't happen again. The turnovers were different turnovers. They were still turnovers. Right. That that sucks. But he isn't like earlier in the season, the number of times that he was running into sacks, the number of times that he was kind of just looking at that first read or, or second read or throwing some of these ill-advised balls. Now it seems like he is decisive. He's looking off to fenders. He knows where the ball's supposed to go. They are expanding this passing game. So if that continues, maybe you roll off three here and, and you're sitting at, you know, seven and three going in your bye week and everybody's kind of like, all right, look out for the Falcons in the NFC. Obviously, that's putting the, the cart <laughs> way ahead of the horse and everything is possible um, and on the table with this but team. That's, that, that's what we do in the media. That's, it, that's, that's what we do. We always put the car in front of the horse. And when that's you okay. win, I'm ready <laughs> yeah. to say you're going 16 and 0 and you're not no losing doubt. another game. When you no lose, doubt. I'm ready to look at the first draft pick uh, in April's draft. That's, that's just how it, how it goes in the media. Right. Do you think that this is real? A, a competitive defense an expanding offense and just kind of finding ways to stay in games. I do think the coaching staff from a game planning perspective, from an in-game adjustment perspective, kind of the personnel that they decide to keep up on game day and, and you know, who they're sitting on game day. Do you think that the formula is here for a run to the playoffs for Atlanta? Or do you think that they're going to kind of continue to mire through this like 500 season? They could be 500, but they could still be 500 and still win the division because I think that is really kind of like... That feels like the, the worst of both worlds. It, I mean, it, re- it really is, you know, but at the same... It really, to me, it's a two, two-team two race in the NFC South. I really don't have much faith in Carolina to all of a sudden figure it out and to go on a, a nine-game winning streak by any means. It's not going to happen. Something. There'll be something, and it's not going to happen. New Orleans, I mean, they just seem like a huge dumpster fire right now. You know, Derek Carr is like Jackie Moon. He's like telling everybody how to do their jobs and like talking to the press box and like everything at the same time. Like it's just crazy and all over the place. So Atlanta and Tampa Bay to me are the two teams that are, you know, have the most important players or or the most depth at the important positions that they need to on their roster. They play good defense. They're tough. They're physical when they need to. I think both quarterbacks are capable of getting their, their, the football out to their athletic perimeter team that they have. If Bijan Robinson can stay healthier, that three headed monster in the backfield, I think is a tremendous asset to them too. And being more flexible with some of the stuff that they do in the run game and the pass game. 
So there, there's a lot to be optimistic about for the Atlanta Falcons right now. And if they can just win games that we think they should win, you know, Arizona, you got to win that one. Mm-hmm. Now, the Tennessee-Minnesota games, uh, if you play the Minnesota team that I just saw last night on Monday Night Football, like, yo, watch out. You got to be ready to go because the deal Hunter and that defense of Brian Flores, they're starting to figure it out defensively. Yeah. Uh, we know how good Kirk Cousins is. Uh, Tennessee, that's a game where that's going to be a physical blood match, man. That is going to be like, <laughs> you know, Maximus Marudius over there in the Coliseum, just like fighting to the last breath because both teams think exactly the same, playing physical and being tough and trying to win in the trenches. So uh, a lot will have to do too on just the health of Ryan Tannehill for the rest of the season for that team. Yeah, that's a it is a great point because I mean, even though you can look at the records of the teams, right? When when you are game planning throughout the week, you have to look at the style of the teams, the the individual matchups and and things like that. And these aren't cakewalks. Arizona, yeah, sure. But even Arizona, I mean, his has They're been tough. riskier than a lot of people expected yeah. them to be this season. So it's it's a great reminder that in the NFL, just because you beat a team that I really respected and I thought was good in Tampa, and I feel like they are a similar team to Tennessee to Atlanta, where the identity is is kind of this defense toughness mentality yes. that does resonate on both sides of the ball. Um, before I let you go, Matt, I I do wanted to get or I wanted to get your perspective on kind of Atlanta's just weapons, how they're using them, the marrying of the run and the pass. Are they finding that right balance in their venture to become a more balanced team? And specifically, I wanted to ask you through the lens of your time with Kyle Shanahan, who is somebody who I think does a good job with this, is using the run to set up the pass, but in interesting and creative ways, and is not necessarily beholden to one or the other. And I think Arthur Smith wants his team to to get there. Do you think they're making strides in that direction as a, you know, they entered the year as the kind of run dominant offense that everybody expected to see? And mm. now I think they've evolved a little bit. Yeah, they absolutely have evolved. And, and I think it's for the better for the team in the long run. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with what they've seen from Desmond Ritter and his improvements at the position, despite some of the issues that we discussed earlier. And really what what we're seeing now is, I think, an, an offensive group that has seen what their quarterback has done really well. And now what do you do? You try to recreate those things that he does well in a multitude of ways offensively. And, and that's what great teams and offenses across the NFL do. They don't rewrite their playbook every week. They're like, all right, this play worked, this play worked. All right, great. Let's let's just dress it up a different way and make it look different to the defense so our quarterback can read the play the exact same way that it was a week ago. And that was something that we did so much uh, during our Super Bowl run, run, excuse me, with Matt Ryan and, and Kyle Shanahan. We we really focused on the things that he did well, how we got Julio Jones open in creative situations. And then we said, all right, we got Devontae, we got Julio, we got the other plays that go along with them to make those work. And then we can build off of those plays and really throw the defense off. And, and that's the key. And I think that's what this team is starting to find themselves doing. To, to say that they were going to rush for over 100 yards against this Tampa Bay defense, which is so built on stopping the run, mm-hmm. but then to say that Desmond was going to throw for 250 and be like super efficient, you know, a, a lot of people have been like, there's no way. It's either one or the other, right? Um, the fact that they did both of them really kind of shows you that they really aren't that far off from maybe piecing it together. Still got to find more ways to get Kyle Pitts the football, though. 
have mm-hmm. to find ways to get this dude the football. Take a page out of Philadelphia's playbook with Goddard. The tight end screen, stuff like that. Get this dude the ball in space, just like you did with Bijan Robinson earlier in the season. Uh, you know, Patterson being back, his uh, ability to be flexed as a receiver and, yeah. and running back, huge piece for that too. So they got enough, and Drake Lund is doing a good job of just being that strong physical receiver that they need him to be, but got to do more to get Kyle Pitts the football, I think, in creative aspects that just give Desmond easy completions too to feel confident about himself. I mean, I think fans are right there with you, and they would love nothing more than to see. It was week three or week four of that 2016 season against Carolina when it was basically just like, all right, they have James Bradbury one on one against Julio, just all get, and they're not going to come off of that. So we're going <laughs> to throw the ball 15 times to Julio and just let right. him get 300 yards. I mean, yeah, I, I think fans would love to see a day where where Kyle Pitts is just targeted 12 times, catches nine balls for a buck fifty. And everybody can just go on with their lives from there and not, <laughs> yeah. have, not have to freak out. The fantasy people will be happy. The Falcons people will be happy. But I am thrilled that you took the time to, uh, to join us today, Matt. Please let everybody uh, know what you got going on. Yeah, so uh, doing Sims Complete, a podcast with my father, talking football, talking uh, just everything in between, father-son duo. Uh, you know, sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, <laughs> and uh, rightfully so. But yeah, uh, Sims Complete on the Believe uh, podcast channel and network and uh, available wherever podcasts are available. And we also have a YouTube channel, too, called Sims Complete. So check us out. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can be as informative uh, as you guys are here with Believe in Falcons. Well, thank you very much. Uh, again, thank you for joining me. And uh, good luck the rest of the season, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Go Falcons, baby. All right, a huge thank you again to Matt Sims for taking the time to join me on today's show. Really hope you guys enjoyed his insight there into just how a quarterback, you know, the learning curve, how we, how Desmond Ritter in particular is growing and developing, and the way that this offense um, continues to evolve and expand. I thought Matt shared some great insights into what he's seen in the huddle over the years um, and, you know, Unfortunately, the way that he and I did kind of first get to know each other there uh, in Flowery Branch was from those transactions and just kind of having to to write all that stuff every single day. That is a, a part of the life in the NFL. Unfortunately, it was part of my life having to write all of those transactions for AtlantaFalcons.com. And you always feel for the guys who you're writing it about. Um, and it was kind of interesting just to get to talk to one of those guys and, and kind of like share that common bond. So that's what we have for you guys on today's show, which is always was presented by Bet Online. Ovi and I will be back bright and early Monday morning, recapping our thoughts on Sunday's game. But if you can't wait until then, we will be back on the Bleacher Report live stream right after Sunday's game wraps up. So if you have the Bleacher Report app, Go ahead and check us out there. We will be doing the Falcons post-game reaction live stream on the Bleacher Report app. Ovi and I will hop on the mics immediately after that game wraps up and give our quick rapid reaction takes. And then we will do a little bit of a deeper dive on the whole game here for you all on Believe in Falcons. But that is it for me this week. Until next time, everybody. Take care.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.